Welcome to Incubate This, where technology and business come together to help startups start up. Brought to you by gotanappidea.com. Hello, cats and kittens. Uh, welcome back <laughs> to Incubate This. We have to make um, her stop doing that. Irish <laughs> menagerie. Oh, did it still come out Irish? Yes. Damn it. It always does. <laughs> Hello, everybody. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a deep-voiced Irish <laughs> leprechaun. And, and now we're at a 1-900 number. You know what? That's maybe, job of the leprechaun. <laughs> maybe, I, <laughs> maybe I'm just a leprechaun in my DNA, and that's just how I talk. It could be. But you stopped the air quotes, so... Um, welcome back to Incubate This. Today we are talking about unicorns, not horses with one horn and that are white and, you know, that fly or whatever. Um, no, no, no. We are talking about unicorns in the startup world. So Wikipedia defines this as, which... The irony is right here in the definition, but it's any private company with a valuation of $1 billion or more. So what does that mean? Private companies are companies that are not traded on a public exchange. So they're not NASDAQ. They're not Dow. They don't have a stock symbol. Uh, you can't just go buy a bunch of shares, um, which makes the fact that they're giving themselves a valuation of anything kind of funny. So because it's a private company and how do you value a private company? Usually it has to be mm, $1 billion. <laughs> um, usually a valuation has to come from some sort of metric that is proof of what people will pay for it, whether that's, you know, some, they're probably using it from an investment standpoint. So the reason, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I read a story on LinkedIn and I'm, I'm trying to find the link again. Um, I swear you like find things on LinkedIn and they're really yeah, they good disappear. and then they like disappear and you can never find them again. Um, if I find it, I will put it on the YouTube channel in the, in the description for the vid this video, but it was talking about a company that is now considered one of these unicorns. It's in a tech space. It's a private company and they've now raised $205 million in capital and so from the outside, people are like, oh, if they've raised $205 million, that must mean they're worth at least a billion dollars because they'd have to get at least a 5x return in order for investors to be willing to invest in this. They have never made a profit. They're living on this investment money. Now- Are they generating any revenue? They are generating revenue. Okay. But so let's take a look at Uber which was, I think, a, a unicorn before they went public. Yeah. Weren't they? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at what you just said, and I'm, I'm, it reminds me very much of the, of the mortgage crisis. It's as if you're saying Thank that you. the value of something is based on what people are willing to pay. And, and we're assuming. And when you're talking about ownership of a company, that's not true. Yep. Everybody's expecting it to just keep and, going up and up and up and up, even though everybody knows it cannot do that. Well, you can't just say it's worth a billion because look at what people are willing to fork over. Exactly. And the problem with this is that they're basing that valuation on 
a company acquiring this company for a five, seven, eight, ten oh. x return, which hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I'm sorry. You were talking to Uber, was it? Yeah. So, yeah, so they're, it, they're the worst. So, well, <laughs> this, so this is what's so ironic. Lyft is the same, by the way. I don't know for certain, so I don't want to say for certain that they were a unicorn before they went public because I don't know what their valuation was. Who, Uber? Uber. I think they were. But they are now a two and a half. They, so last year, they had a hundred or $200 million loss on a $2.3 billion valuation. So they're losing 10% every year. They are still subsidizing a portion of every ride mm-hmm. that happens on their platform. So the t- does the $2.5 billion, since they're publicly, is basically a shares outstanding That is shares outstanding. Price. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, well, that's why I didn't think Lyft would be quite the same because one thing I've read is that a big part of Uber's problem is that they've gone after you know, let's do, you know, self-driving cars all over. And they had some monumental failures, yeah. bad publicity with yeah. that. And bad, a lot of money, yeah. big, big capital yep. expenses yep. that, that I don't didn't know if, pan out into revenue. Those. They have not had the same model, but the, the pricing still doesn't work for volume. Now, so one of the, one of the things that I read is that there was a group of guys at Stanford that did a study about this. And they were like, this feels a lot like the dot-com bust, feels a lot like the mortgage crisis where people are, the the perceived value of real estate is more than what it actually is because it doesn't account for the cyclical nature of the economy, which we're going to come back to in just it's a second. It's almost, it's worth whatever I can get the next guy to pay for exactly. it. Exactly. It's like an MLM. Also, no, if I, Ponzi talk, scheme. If I yeah. talk it up, I was thinking him. Yeah. <laughs> like MLM or Ponzi scheme is probably more... Mm-hmm. So these guys at Stanford did this, did this research study. And what they found is with the companies that were willing to actually open the books to them, because remember, these are privately held companies. They never have to disclose anything with the companies that were actually willing to open the books. They did an independent analysis and found that almost every single one of those companies was actually overvaluing themselves by close to 48% Wow! consistently across the board. So, so if people are only willing to fork over 120 million instead of 250 million, because it's half off what they really think it is, then Uber wouldn't be able to continue the operations that it has so far. They'd be shorter on cash, which then the valuation would start to show what the real value is because eventually it's going to come out in the wash. Now, here's my question. Is the value of the the massive user base that these companies typically have to get to this point, right? They have millions and millions and millions of users. Is the value of that something that they're taking into account that you can't get from a financial spreadsheet from a discounted, you know, a DCF model or something like that when you're talking about valuation? And are they assuming that one of these enormous companies, Facebook, Google, uh, these huge companies are going to come in and say, we're okay with the loss because we can make that up in other places because the value of your users is more than that to us. That's the only thing mm-hmm. I can come up with you can is lose that money the data at the micro level and still benefit the data, the, the users, that's got to be what this is, right? That would explain, because that was going to be my question is these investors, institutional investors who are in, still investing in these 
if they're what doing do they due see? diligence and ha- they've got to be seeing that 40% 48% overvaluation. Or, or is it like the mortgage thing where they're like, they get caught up in the, ev- as long as everybody is willing to go this high, we can just, we can keep going. They're, like, they're following like that. smart money. I, and I just don't know if they're yeah. smart or if they're just, Everybody's, oh, everybody's, everybody's doing it. Billions off this. Yeah. My understanding right is in that industry and in the in the investment industry, venture venture industry, there is a big component of FOMO, fear of, mo- of missing out. Yeah. So, oh, I wonder how much that contributes. I mean, just because you've ri- this this is the thing that we we, you know, if you're an an entrepreneur or a business owner or somebody watching this, and you're you know you're in that at that point where you're like, I really want to go raise some money, and I'm trying to figure out my valuation and and you think that the the raise is the end goal and that like helps you set a value. What the raise does is keep the lights on. Yeah. And it gets other people I mean literally but also emotionally invested in what you're doing and the more people who are on your train the more likely it is that you're going to succeed because part of success is getting people is getting traction it's getting following right the raise is not the end goal though the raise is how you keep going to get to the thing that actually makes you money mm-hmm. see i define a startup unicorn as a company that makes money that actually has profit because let me put this in these terms so RVC, when they're looking at deals, when they're looking at doing a, you know, participating in a raise with a company, and and this is true for most venture capital, especially like early venture capital angel funding, like end stage angel angel funding, early stage venture capital, they're looking for a 10x return in five years. A 10x in five years, that's a 60% interest rate year over year if you were to borrow that money from a bank, which is why in one of, in one of our uh, videos, I'm like, it is cheaper <laughs> to borrow money against a line of credit on your house or write a credit card advance check to yourself than to go raise capital in a lot of, in a lot of cases. But the only way those investors are really ever going to get their money back, it's not really going to be on revenue sharing. It's going to be on the acquisition, yeah. which is why so many See, people so many buying in also to buy to out. Sell. Yes. Yes. So nobody is that yet is really caring if this is real. Right. It really, you know, so, and that's what I meant about the mortgage backed securities was there was lots of people who started to see that there was crap in these cut up, securities that they had and knew that yes yeah, 70% of what's in there is rated B minus or yep. C right but yep. you know people are still willing to pay it and we can because it comes it some other good ones and make it comes it down to the last guy holding the deal that's what it seems like as a duck yeah what is that duck duck goose duck duck goose that? you're the last the musical chairs yep yep you're the and last that is the definition of a ponzi scheme yes it Literally. is So explain, like, help me understand as you're, I mean, how is this private startup not making a profit worth over a billion dollars where your acquisition targets are, I mean, that's a very small pool. Well, I think part of it. How is this a unicorn and not like just 2000, the dot com. And it has to be flashy. The idea has to be flashy. and Yeah. 
You have to be aggressive as hell. And that's why those cultures that we've heard about, I think, kind of go along with some of that is you have to be a duplicitous son of a bitch right from the beginning. <laughs> Pardon my French. Yeah. <laughs> um, right from the beginning in this process, you have to be, in, you know, Elizabeth Holmes, where you've hit a point where you realize this, we're not, so far, we're not even close to delivering and I'm still yeah. going to take your money and tell you it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. You know, who knows when she knew the truth, but the, there's plenty of people like that. Yeah. Bernie I mean, Madoff, all those guys, it's like they knew right from the start, they weren't giving you real returns. They were paying you with the next guy's money. And I'm not saying that I think these startups are doing that. I, I want to be clear, but I do, it feels that way. Like, how is this not a recreation of the dot-com bust? That they're brittle, that when the inevitable rece next recession happens, these guys are, are they're They're done. Tank. I mean, yeah. how does Uber survive a recession when in the good times, they're they, subsidizing, they're subsidizing they rides? Yeah. Well, it's, if they're, that, that's the thing is if we, in the good times, they're not making profit, you, the people with the money are, are already saying, I'm willing to take a loss. So when the times are bad, there's to be, well, I'm just taking a bigger loss or, you know, the company's taking a bigger loss. But in order to keep to doing that, that they have to keep raising money. So it's not just I'm taking a bigger loss. Now I'm putting more money in against a bigger loss. Yeah, who's, I don't know who's doing that. It, now <laughs> it's publicly traded it's, stockholders. Yeah, it's, just, it's the average stockholder. And this is how the average stockholder who's got investments in retirement and in their hedge funds and whatever gets screwed. Yeah. My, I mean, my position is that Uber is not a sustainable business model. It won't make, it's not a profitable model. It's not because, because at the level that people, people are willing to pay. It, yeah. The only yeah, way, no. the only I mean, way, as, as soon as, as soon as the demand rises enough, the supply goes to meet it. And as that happens, you're just always going to be at minimum wage. Yep. You know, or worse because yep. of expenses. Yep. And people are going to drop out at some point. There's probably some people who have, a system by which, and I'm talking, this is all about the drivers yeah. because I know of a few people who do that and um, they probably have a system by which they're able to make a, you know, maybe it's airport runs with a minivan right. where they're actually able to take four rides at once right? so that they can get four fees while they're making one trip. Who knows? But yeah. it seems to me like wear and tear on vehicles, you know, vehicle maintenance alone and the insurance, et cetera. Yeah. You're not making money. Yeah. My guess is that their, their initial goal was if we can put the taxi companies out of business, then we can win. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that was probably overly ambitious. That's because not let's, 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 let's just examine Uber a little bit closer. What taxi business was so incredibly profitable that they were like, yeah, let's definitely get into that. Cause there's margin there. Yeah. I mean, that's why they're small independent. There's like four in New York city and they're always competing for the same space. So yeah. this month somebody got 25% and this guy only got 15 and next month he's got 20 and he's got 20. And I, I, there's not such a huge profit margin in this anyway, that it makes sense to take it on at this level. There was no way they were going to put tech behind it and scale this thing. And there was going to be money at the end. Which is what makes me think from the beginning, it sounds like a really cool idea. Well, especially when you factor and in the self-driving, the idea. Yeah. And that's what they were doing. They were talking about the self-driving because that's when it does become immensely profitable is when they have their own fleet of self-driving cars that are, that do a good job. And you don't have to pay the driver. And you don't have to pay the driver. 
that's when Uber becomes a mm. hundred billion dollar valuation company, right? But or, how or close more. are we really to that? Nowhere near it. That's my point. Not reliably. That's my and, point. And yeah, they were, they were betting on the future happening super, sooner. It is the future. It will happen. But I think they were betting on it happening within five years and it's probably more like 15 to 25. Yeah, I just, I've, I just find this whole thing the trans that's they didn't disrupt the transportation system because they're still using the same old transportation. I think the only thing that's going to be like the wow, really actual changes when somebody comes up with something that's more innovative, yeah. combining public transportation and very convenient short A to B. Yeah. And whether that's rentable scooters, you know, who knows? Yeah. Well, because that's one of the things that they're in now, right? All those, Are all those in? scooters that I see, they're they're Lyft, aren't they? I don't think so. I'm not sure that Lyft is. I could be wrong, but I'm not sure Lyft has gotten into that yet. It's Bird and Lime. But and I thought I thought Lyft company. bought Lime. Maybe they did. They, they I, may have. I don't know. We're yeah, and acquisitions I don't, I don't too know. by these people that are losing money. I know. That they're like, me up. oh, there's we'll another company people. that's losing money. We'll just buy them and then we'll get... Yeah. <laughs> now we're a bigger money losing company. Ah! But some companies have turned things around by doing an acquisition where they, you know, got something that was a real core business. Um, I was wondering, do, do either of you know, like, how did Netflix start out? What Were they profitable? Were they doing okay? I mean, what... Yeah, were, I think they've been pretty they've profitable. They've been pretty the profitable. Time. And they started out with just the rent, the DVD rentals, right? Yep. Before yep. the yep. streaming? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. They they had been in business a good close to ten years before. I've actually been with them since two thousand four, almost since the very beginning of Netflix. I've been a customer of theirs. So I mean, so if if, if a company like that comes up, because that was kind of a that was that was a new a new way of doing this. Yeah. New way and innovative. I mean, yeah. that was a real unicorn to me. Yeah. I mean, there was, there That's was a, there, there. Would, would they have been a unicorn? I don't know what their valuation was early on. If I people don't know thought either. it was wild or you know great. Yeah. Let's buy them through the roof or not. Yeah, I don't know either. But it, it, it's at least him. it's somebody that I can look at and say, you got a real business there. Yeah. yeah. You're actually solving a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Because people hate cable. They yeah. hate cable. They hate satellite. Like with a passion, they hate it's, it. I just read somebody saying this, showing some statistics about how many people are, have, are dropping cable. And it was like 30 something percent or 30 million people in the last 10 years or five years have They're like, dropped their. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's. So I think it sounds like we're all in agreement about this. If you really want to be a unicorn in the startup world, build a business model that's sustainable, that makes money. And that, yes, if, if, if your, if your plan is to raise money through VCs and you know that in order for them to get the kind of returns they're expecting, you're going to need an exit, do it in a way where the people who are buying you aren't just buying debt and investors, you know, like there's actually something there. There's a business model there that actually produces money. Right. Maybe it doesn't produce money at a small scale, you know, like PubTech is one of ours. At a small scale, he can't get the cost per unit down enough to make money. So, but we have to go through that phase in order to get to the point where we can do the larger scale orders where we do make money on the devices and then we make money on the subscriptions. And there's money there. This actually works at scale. Right. What his investors are betting on is that we can get to scale with it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a whole different thing than betting on you're going to get acquired by somebody who's going to not notice the loss. <laughs> like, 
And a lot of these companies, uh, Amazon is a great example. You know, Amazon was probably a unicorn that was losing money, but they were doing, you know, Bezos was losing money on purpose. Right. Right. Because he right. wanted to funnel all of that money back into the business to grow it. Right. And so if that's what you're doing, that's a perfectly, to me, legitimate way of doing things. Sure. Because at any given point, they have always had the ability to say, all right, well, we'll just bring the prices up on this area and to, to generate some then funds. Then we're back. Yeah. And then we're back. Well, and then they came out with the, you know, $99 a year for, pro- what is it now? $129 a year. I don't Something even notice. Like that. That's yeah. that's how much I like, don't even notice. That's how sinister and, 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 and effective that is. How many people? Well, there's audio, audio books. Yeah. Any, anything yeah. That, it makes, just made me think of how many of these people do a subscription model. Yeah. yeah. Like Netflix. That's what everybody wants is a subscription books. Model. And is that part of what, you know, the, definitely, you know, when you say we have 30 million users, there's value there because yeah. they've we got their credit card exactly, and if they're we come up with month. something where they're like, oh yeah, sure, I'd I'd pay an extra five bucks a month for that. There's 150 million dollars a month right so there. So could Uber do that? Could Uber say, pay us a hundred bucks a month? It's still That's cheaper than owning a car. Be doing <laughs> and shh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Let, I'm not the first person who has thought of that. Let's give Lyft those ideas because we're pretty heavily invested in Lyft right oh, yeah. now. Okay. So, <laughs> so it's, it's got to edit it's that take something edit like that, that a change like that. Yes. Yeah. For them to go, oh, wow, we actually can make money. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that in a way where it keeps the price to where people are still willing to use it? And I think that's the piece. It's like, if this was so killer and the, and the pricing model worked, forget it. It would be over. They, I mean, everybody would be wanting to buy it because they'd be like, oh my God, like people are willing to pay this much for a ride, which means that your margin is this much after you do everything that you have to do. There's money, but there's not. Mm-hmm. And people aren't willing to pay more because in markets where they've test bedded, you know, if we actually made money in this market, we'd have to charge this for rides. They drop dramatically. Right. It's so it's a self-regulating problem. Yes. Because if the price is right, there's enough demand. If there's enough demand, they seek out more drivers. As they seek out more drivers, the cars get back to the same level of emptiness that exactly. they were. Exactly. Exactly. So it's a self-regulating limit. Exactly. On, this on is how much true you can make. supply and demand. And the margin is whatever people are willing to pay. There's an infinite supply. Yeah. That's that's yes. the problem here is that there's a a practical infinite supply, right? Pra- pragmatic. It, yeah. I had an economics professor at Metro. Um, in fact, he was the father of uh, one of the South Park. Oh yeah, guys. Oh, Randy, Trey. Yeah, Trey Gerald, or, Gerald Stone. Uh, okay, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. Um, he was my macroeconomics professor, and he said he he talked a story about when the Hunt brothers tried to corner the silver market, and he said that you know they bought up all the silver futures, all the silver uh, actual silver bullion, but they didn't realize that as the price went up, people were melting down silver sets that they had in here. He goes, there was literally, you know, there was virtually an endless supply of silver Uh, stored up in other places. They could start making it worth this much an ounce. People are going to go, okay, there goes grandma's tea set. Exactly. (laughs) I can get 1900 bucks for that. Exactly. And, and so it's like that. It's like self-regulating. This is the same problem with diamonds. If De Beers actually opened up all of their vaults and put all of their diamonds in the market that they have, the price of diamonds would tank. And in fact, my understanding is they're probably the only reason why diamonds are so valuable. That's right. Because they own the, the the majority of the supply. They own all of it. So they can put out more, put out less. And that's something where people can't go home and say, you know, they could pick jewelry apart, but they already got that as a, it's already the same thing. Yeah. But that almost makes me wonder if the only way Uber, Uber can make money is to 
make it where you might or might not be able to get a ride. Right. It's in high demand. Right. It's except be one of the first hundred, hundred, you know. Except that then you have <laughs> The Lyft, first hundred right? callers. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird problem. Or but. if you don't do Uber and Lyft, you can still walk out on a major street in New York City, raise your hand, and you'll have three different cabs from three mm. different companies, plus the independent guy. Or take guy, the subway or, or take to, a, yeah. the bus. Thank you. Thank you. Now, another, I mean, in areas where we live in Denver, I know there are a lot of, quote unquote, millennials who don't own a car. So- Maybe Uber is banking on that. Maybe they're banking on the fact that there is a segment of the population that- But hold on for a second, because I keep hearing this, they don't own a car myth, are we, are and yet getting... parking is the <laughs> biggest freaking problem in Denver right now. Why is that if none of these millennials own a car and they're the ones buying all these condos? Well, it's still, Good I think point. it's that when, when we were in rush hour in Manhattan in the 80s, my dad said, do you realize only one in whatever people who live here own a car? And it's still like this yeah. because there's just so many people that they're packing yeah. in. Could be, could be that, but are we getting too involved in are how we, Uber works? Are we trying to fix Uber unicorn? and Lyft? <laughs> what, are, what are some others? Um, we work, I think is. We work is one. They, they lose money. Yeah. Right, consistently. They don't. Yeah. And they actually, do they own the real estate of the places that they're, because that's their I, model is the co-working model, right? But they own the real estate. I think they do. But So for them, a loss in revenue actually isn't the same because there's an asset behind it that is gaining value. Mm -hmm. So for them, it's a little bit, if I'm understanding their model correctly, and I, I just want to be very, very transparent, I don't know a lot about what they're doing. I just know that they're another one that's this unicorn. And if they do own the real estate. And if they do own the real estate, then that's something because the problem is. So profitable is, is not quite the same because you've got an equity income, so to speak. Right. You have sort of money in the bank. Cash exactly. Just appearing. Exactly. As the value and, of the real and estate And you could up. leverage that real estate in different sure. ways, depending on what the economic market is doing. So there's, it's not like with Uber, they're like, oh, well, we have our tech and our IP. And it's like, yeah, there's no value there. People have it's, recreated it. It's still, though, when people want to invest in real estate, they're looking at cash flow. And you don't have any cash flow here. so Not on a commercial is, level. I was going to say there's a little bit more to this than just, oh, well, the value of the real estate that no. we're helping them support is going up. There's a little more to that. There's definite cachet. Yeah. So, it. so obviously in commercial real estate, cash flow is king and you want to be doing that and you want to be making deals where that happens. However, if you are doing the deals the right way, unlike the way I did it in 2007, if you're doing deals the right way and you have the cash to back the low times, you gain, it is sort of like selling your company and getting the big jump in value the next time that the circle comes back around, right? And so your cash flow is actually more in the good times as the cycle, as the cycle repeats itself because your value is always going up over time. And so your ability to hold that asset, whether you're getting cash flow or not, is actually what dictates you'll make way more on it over time. Does that make sense? I think so. And I think, I think, I can't think of any other example where that's really true. Mm. Yeah, real estate's unique. It's in, unique in, a lot in of that ways. way. In a lot of yeah, financial ways. And my understanding that's a that's a problem that that a lot of people are having with WeWork is WeWork has been pitching itself all this time as not a real estate I know. play. It's I know. as a technology company. And yeah. apparently everybody that's involved are like, there is no technology there. Like everybody across the nation has the same Wi-Fi password and right. it's something like password with a one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's that, you know, so 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess their their founder has cashed out something like seven hundred million dollars. Like the Wendy's commercial. Where's the tech? Where's the yeah, tech? Exactly. Yeah. So there there may be a there there for beer them. Taps. They do have beer taps. Yeah, there may be a there there. But a lot of people are like, well, where is where that is though? It? Yeah. <laughs> Show us you're yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. What I found interesting, I was, so I was, like I said, I was looking at Wikipedia and they, they actually have a list of the, there's only like, there's like 360 or fewer of these in the world. Mm. I mean, that's why, that's how they got the name unicorn. And actually they, the unicorn is the one that's worth a, a billion or more. The decacorn is the one that's worth 10 billion or more. And it's like a hexacorn or something that's worth a hundred billion or more or 50 billion or more, something like that. I mean, they've sort of like this term came out in something like 2013 or 14 mm-hmm. or something. Somebody yeah. described this as this, like, oh my gosh, it's a unicorn because it's so rare. And now, of course, we have to take that and make it like it means something. Except that kind of coming back to your original point, unicorns are mythological. That's right. They actually don't exist. So sort of like gate. Right. You put gate at the end of everything. Right. That's right. That's and right. Tech gate. It, this is unicorn gate. <laughs> Unigate. Hexagate. So what was unicorn interesting gate. about the list, a lot of these companies are U.S. based. Mm-hmm. All the other ones are in China. Really? Yes. I think there was like one that was in Saudi Arabia, maybe. And I think there was one. It was in Dubai or somewhere in the. Dubai. Yeah, so it, it it was There's somewhere in the Arab Emirates. Somehow related. In I that. feel like. But is that is that just an, a, a, a facet of we're the two biggest economies in the world now? Yes, I think that's true. And how much of our economies are based on these private companies that are overvalued themselves right. by 48%. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just makes me want to say to China, make a deal with us. Yeah. <laughs> You're not Get winning either way. Like right. make a deal. <laughs> you keep you keep your unicorns going. We'll keep ours. It'll be fine. Oh my God. Then we'll be back to leprechauns at some point. <laughs> this is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, parting thoughts, what are my parting thoughts about this? One is don't get so wrapped up in your acquisition or becoming a, becoming a unicorn, becoming one of these mythological creatures that you sacrifice figuring out how to actually make money in, in the business that you're trying to build. Because ultimately, your investors will get way more out of their investment, will get a far better return if you found a way to make it profitable. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you're an investor, could you call me? Our, our phone number's on our website. Would you call me and explain to me what you're investing in? I would actually be interested in getting someone, maybe one of our angel investor friends. Actually, I know exactly who I want to get on. We're, we're going we're gonna to get a podcast guest. It'll be sometime probably in October that that show will air. We're going to find an investor or two who will talk to us and explain to us what our investors investing in in these companies? What is it that they're seeing? What are they betting on? Because let's just be totally honest, an investment is just a very, very calculated gamble. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's just very calculated. So what is that thing? If you're an investor and you're interested in talking to me or coming on this podcast and you're listening to this or you're watching this right now, call me. I have a couple in mind, but I, I'd like to get a couple of investors to talk to us about this. We'd like be, to understand it would be that mindset. To see that side of it. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And there's two I can think of right off the top of my head that would absolutely be on the podcast with us. So we'll do that. All right. So this has been 
Incubate This, Daryl Brogdon, Grant Park, Cynthia Delaria for Got an App Idea. And uh, we will, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you at the end of the rainbow, lads. <laughs> see you next time. Looking for more tips, tricks, and advice for your startup? Visit us online at gotanappidea.com. 